I'll hit that one for you. Oh, you can push it whenever okay. you're on. Um, well, I uh, appreciate you guys uh, allowing us to come here and take some of y'all's pastor's time and letting us to visit with him and see you guys. And I appreciate you guys uh, giving me the opportunity to speak. Um, I'm, I'm pr- fairly short. I'm fairly to the point. I don't have a whole lot to say. Um, but I do say some words backwards and I get some things wrong sometimes, so please forgive me. Um, but uh, one of the things that I look at a lot here lately is us as God's people, uh, servants of the Lord and His children, it is important for us to know our place concerning the Lord. And the reason why I spend a lot of time on this is because the, the society in which we live in today teaches us that we are, number one, we are the most important facet in our lives. We'll always do things that benefit us. Um, what I've learned in the few short years that I've been on this earth is that um, the Lord is far most deserving of all that I have. That it is not by any design that I do, it's for His. And um, if we understand that Christ died for our sins so that we might possibly have a way to serve and glorify the Lord... Um, for me, it's best to start off with a simple, simple task of making myself humble, and that's where I pick up in uh, Micah chapter six. Micah chapter six, verse eight, is a couple of it's it's really a, a three part study that I've been looking at for a long time. But I start off with being humble before your God. Um, it's a lot further back than I thought it was. <laughs> I moved it for you. What's that? I moved it for you. Yeah. I should have been flipping while I was talking, but I wasn't. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. That's the verse that I usually read. But verse 6, he says, What shall I say? What shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to Him with burnt offerings and yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts or the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In verse 8, he says, He's told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And he asks it in the form of a question um, as, as if it's a rhetorical question. Is this not the three things that the Lord requires from us? Is for us to, to do what is right, to seek justice, to love kindness, to, to do things that are pleasing to the Lord, um, and to walk humbly before Him. And in order for me, myself, importantly, to uh, walk humbly before the Lord. It is a concept that my generation hasn't really learned very well. Um, it's an old word that we don't use anymore. It's called a sense of propriety. It means our place of belonging. Where, where do we belong? In the Lord's house, in His servitude. And it is at His feet, 
not demanding anything of Him, but always asking, placing ourselves before Him. And I use uh, Ephesians chapter 2 to kind of look at that a little bit better. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 is... uh, Well, really, the whole book of Ephesians is something that I used to look inwardly at myself a lot about. I draw a lot of strength from from this book. Um, He says in verse 1 that you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, we indulged the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God was rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. When, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come He might show us the surpassing riches of His grace, and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. This is the gift of the Lord, not as a result of works that no one should boast, for we is his we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The reason why I use this as an example of uh, of humility is because when you read Ephesians chapter two, you understand that everything that pertains to life was given to us from the Lord. There's nothing that we could have done to prepare ourselves. There's nothing that we could have done to establish ourselves. It had to be the Lord doing the establishing, doing the saving, because we're when we're born into this world, we're we're to be honest, we're not good enough. It has to be Christ that makes us good enough. And we have to allow him to be the one to do it. And he says he's the one that sheds his blood. We were dead in our transgressions and were made alive through Christ anyway. So there's nothing besides me simply yielding myself over to the Lord and allowing Him to use me for His good pleasure. That's all that I can give. There's nothing else that makes me important, and which is the idea that servants have. I mean, we have examples of of history where when servants would approach the king, they knew that the king with a simple word could simply have the servant killed and just be no more. And that's the way we approach our Lord, knowing that He has that strength but also not being afraid to the point that we're going to die, but understanding that He is all-powerful. He, he deserves a lot more than what most of us give Him credit for. Sometimes we take the small things for granted like simply sucking air. It's not something that's given to us every day. The Lord has not promised us anything as far as tomorrow is concerned. But that's why He says in Micah chapter 6 that these are the three things that God desires is to love justice and kindness and to walk humbly with him then the rest is given to us as a gift that the lord has given to us and it is up to us to maintain our mindset and and staying in that position as a servant um galatians chapter 5 is another passage that i use sometimes um it's uh galatians 5 25 and 26 he says uh, if we live by the spirit let us walk by the spirit and not become boastful Challenging one another or envying one another. There's nothing that my my brother is not is not worse than me. He's not below me. He is not less than I am. He is more than I am. And it is important to put that value 
on my brother. In order for us to function as an assembly of the Lord, we have to put each other's needs up first. It can't be about me serving myself and what I can gain. It's what can the Lord gain from this? What can my brother gain? And so when he says not being boastful, he says challenging one another. Challenging one another is not um, throwing obstacles in our brother's feet, but it is just like when we um, practice for things, um, we make a repetition out of it. We, we constantly give each other food for thought and encouragement and making sure that we, we know what we're talking about. There's, there has to be a, a confirmation between us that we're both preaching and saying the same thing. So our challenge isn't a, um, a negative one. It's, it's positive enforcement. And he says, not envying one another. And he says um, in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 6, that if a man's caught in a trespass, those that are spiritual are the ones that restore them. And a spirit of gentleness looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted, bearing one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting regard to himself alone and not regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. And like I said, when when I think about um, humility, and I think about where my place belongs with the Lord, it my place is um, under my brother's shoulder picking him up and carrying him if he need be. My place is, as it says here, if a brother's caught in a trespass, it is to make sure... It is, <laughs> it is to make sure that... Um, if my brother's caught a trespass, it is to make sure that I'm seeking to be spiritual and that I'm trying to restore him, not trying to tear him down. Um, the ultimate goal of the Lord, he, he's always said this in the scriptures, that he desires for all men to come to him. And then he gives us another example where he says, uh, so far as it depends on us to be at peace with all men. So autom- automatically we understand that we're, we're to be a calm and, and good-tempered people to begin with. That's what's expected of us but also to be willing to pick up the load and carry it if need be. If our brother lacks in something, we take care of it for them. Um, And Romans chapter 12 is uh, the last thing that I have for tonight. Like I said, it's not a a whole lot, just food for thought to consider. when, When we have conversations, do we think about what it looks like from the other person's eyes when we're talking to them. Um, I know that a lot of times us as people, we're, we're made up of emotions and we, we act very quickly out of uh, anger or frustration or, or whatever the case would be. Sometimes we act fast out of happiness, not thinking our, our decisions all the way through. But what does that look like to somebody on the outside of me? I know what it looks like through my eyes when I'm frustrated or I'm upset and what I'm trying to accomplish but have we stopped to consider what we look like to somebody else? I mean, I know from, you know, from past experiences, anger is an ugly-looking thing on somebody else. But I seem to justify it to work for me. And that's, that's not how this works. Um, but anyway, uh, Romans chapter 12, he's, he's talking about our, uh, our dedicated service to the Lord and how we are to present ourselves. And he says in verse 1 that, he urges, he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, 
but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself. And that's a constant reoccurring thing that I've read all night tonight was to not think more highly of ourselves. Because in the position of a, a child and a servant of the Lord, we are not more than our master. We are not higher than our master. Definition of disciple is a student, a learner, one who's under a teacher. And so he says not to be arrogant. It's something that we hit hard on. Um, but to think, to have sound judgment, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of it. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us exercise accordingly. And he gives a list of prophesying um, to the proportion of his faith or service in his serving or teaching and teaching. Um, in his exhortations uh, with liberality, one who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And he says, let love be without hypocrisy and abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. All of us have uh, come to the understanding of what the Lord has done for us in order for us to be in the position that we're in now. And I'm not saying that any of us have told the Lord, I got myself here. I'm not saying that we're so bold to say something like that. But if there's anything I can do, it's hopefully just to get people to think about the things that we do and the things that we say more. Not not to just be mindless, because there's a, a whole world of people that don't think about what they do or don't think about what they say or the impact that it has on people. We forget sometimes where we stand because we all have jobs that are demanding of us, that are taxing on us. We have family that's always relying on us for something. But ultimately, what is our position on this earth? It is to bring the Lord honor and glory and to serve Him and to preach his word to those that are around us to share it it's not ours we have access to it but it's not just ours it's the lord's and he's the one trying to get all men to come to him so if if we can come to that mindset knowing that i am not more important than my god or my brethren i'm also not more important than the believer or than the i'm not more important than the unbelievers either because they need to hear it too and if you go into a conversation with somebody who doesn't have faith or isn't thinking of the Lord, thinking to yourself, they're not going to hear you. You're already defeating the purpose of you being there. So never never to think more highly of ourselves or to be arrogant, but to say, Lord, I'm simply your servant, and you do with me as you have. And that's, that's all I have for this afternoon. And I hope that it wasn't confusing or anything. you thank you for those words and for him sent for Simon Peter and we're going to look at this again here in chapter 11 because Peter was called upon by the church at Jerusalem they said wait a minute what's going on here Peter you went in you actually went into this uh, this Gentile's house and you ate with him? We don't do that. We're good Jews. We, we, 
We don't do things. The Gentiles are unclean. They are, they are not fit for you to socialize with. And they said, you shouldn't have done this, Peter. You're, that's a no-no. We don't do that. And so that's where we'll start in chapter 11 of Acts. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. That's a good start. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. They argued with him. They denounced what he had done, basically, because they were Jews. And, he, and these people that he'd gone to were not only Jews, but they were Romans. <laughs> My goodness, how bad can you get? I mean, the Jews were under subjection to Rome at that time. And this man was an officer in the Roman army, but he was a good man. And he did, he gave alms to the Jews. And they knew him as a good man, but still he was a Gentile. So they contended with Peter, brought him on the carpet, so to speak, and said, what is going on here? You went into this, this Roman's house and you actually even ate with him, which made it even that much worse. You were, when eating was a, a thing of communion and you, you communed with, a, with this Gentile and that is not right. And they said, thou wentest in, into men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. Wow. Uncircumcised even, you know. They, he wasn't a Jew. But Peter rehearsed the matter. He went over it bit by bit. And he says, here's what happened. Here's, he gave his uh, explanation, his Apologia is, is the idea here. Uh, his uh, defense. And Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and the, in a trance I saw a vision a certain vessel descended as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners and it came even to me it stopped right at my feet it came right to me out of heaven and can you imagine this a big sheet or tarp or whatever it was held up by four corners and it comes down and it's laid down right at your feet this is the vision that he saw and verse 6, it says, Upon the which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. 
all all manner of things were here on this on this vessel that was let down. Not things that a Jew would eat, by the way. He says, And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. Come up, have, take your take your pick. All these things are good to eat. Take what you want. Kill it and eat it. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. I don't eat those things. That's that's yucky stuff. I don't do that. That not only is it yucky, what would it be improper for me to eat those things? But the voice answered me again from heaven. What answering again is saying he talked ba- the voice talked back to me. He said, I said I don't, I don't eat that stuff. And the voice talked back to me and it said, What God hath cleansed that call not thou uncommon or or call it common don't don't say those things are unclean if god says they're clean you accept them well peter didn't know what to make of that and this was done three times not just once but it came three times god was emphasizing this and he said the same thing three times. When what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. If God says it's so, if no matter what he says, don't you argue with him. Don't argue. Don't say it was unclean. If God says it's clean, you eat that. Now, had Peter done that in the vision it would have been wrong for him because he was a good Jew and it was against the law. Verse 11, And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. Now Caesarea was where this this Roman officer lived. And he sent these men to to the house where Peter was living there on the seacoast. And he did exactly what the angel told him to do in his vision. Well, Peter was had been up on the roof of the house where he was staying and he was waiting for lunch basically. And he had he got he had a vision also. And this was the vision that Peter had of this sheet that was let down and he didn't know what to make of that. Had no idea what to do with that vision that he saw. And verse 12 says, And the Spirit bade me go with them. Notice that it is the Spirit of God. Said, Peter, you go with these men. They're Gentiles, yes. They, they had come there. Uh, there were three men that were sent. One of them was a, a Roman soldier. Maybe two of them, I can't recall right now, but one of them was a servant, just a slave. 
but he was sent from this centurion's house. And so he came right to the, to the house where Peter was living, and the Spirit says, go with him. Nothing doubting. He said, don't, don't question this, just go with him. Nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. He says, these six Jews that were brethren in the church at, at Jerusalem, but they were there with Peter at the house. And he said, they went with me, and they went into the, the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He said, they sent to call for me by name, not somebody else. He didn't say there's just a man down there. No, he says, Simon Peter, by name, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. He said, this is what he's going to tell you. You send for him, and he's going to come up here and tell you how to be saved. A centurion, a Roman. And this was a, a, a righteous man, by the way. He gave alms to the Jews. Now, Romans and Jews didn't have a whole lot of a whole lot in common. Uh, that's, that's putting it mildly. The, the Romans were overseers of this area. This centurion, a centurion was in charge of a hundred men, or maybe more. He, he was an officer, a high man, high man in the Roman army. And he wanted to be saved. He desired that. He prayed to God. He did alms, did good things for the people around him. I'm sure that the people under that man enjoyed having a commander like this. He was that type of a person. And when this centurion was called upon, he, the angel said, your good deeds have come up before God. God has seen what you've done. And he's come to reward you with salvation. Now, he didn't put it in those words, I'm sure. But he says... You send for Simon Peter, and he's going to tell you how to be saved. And the centurion says, I'll do that. I'm, I'm into this. I want that. And so he, he said, this man's going to tell you how to be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Now this is Peter speaking here. And he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them like it did on us on the day of Pentecost. They spoke with tongues. And... 
Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, now this is Jesus had said this, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not like John did. He baptized with water. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. God's going to work in your lives. But wait a minute. These people were Gentiles. These people were Romans. These people were the oppressor of the Jewish people. And his household. Not just, not just this man. I mean, this man influenced his household and the people under him enjoyed working for him. Whether they were slaves or, or some corporal in the army, whatever, they enjoyed working for this man. He was a good man. He was pleasant to be around, I'm sure. I mean, not that he wasn't a, a commander of his people, absolutely was. But I've had good bosses, and I've had bad bosses. This was a good boss. He was a man that you enjoyed working for. But Peter was re reminded of Jesus' words when Jesus walked on the earth. And he says, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. This is a different thing altogether. And this was obvious. The Spirit came down and fell upon these Gentiles. Peter didn't know what to make of that either. But he remembered what Jesus had said. He says, this is different. This is something that is unusual. This is something that doesn't happen with Jews. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? He said, this was God's doing, not mine. I just did what I was told. <laughs> How about us? Are we doing what God gives us to do? I think of a scripture there in Philippians. It says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good purpose. It is God. It's not you. You're just a tool in his hand. It is God that works in you, both to will, that is to say, it's his purpose, not yours. It's his intent. And when God does something, you don't argue with it. It's like when Peter saw that sheet coming down with all those creepy critters in it. He said, take and eat. Enjoy these good snacks here. <laughs> no, 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 Peter said, uh-uh, not me. He argued with God. But what did it say there? What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Don't say that's, that's an unclean thing. Don't say that's nasty. Don't say that that's not good for me. 
If God says it's good for you, it's good for you. And Jesus said, Indeed, John baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. It's God's doing. It's one of the three persons of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit came and baptized these Gentiles. He says, Hey, if God said it, this verse 17 says, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? I said, hey, I, I just work here. <laughs> I'm not the boss. <laughs> he acknowledged God. God is the one who did the action. It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, my wife has a little magnetic sticker of that very verse on the refrigerator. However, it was in a different translation. And it says there's no limit to what God can do in your life. That's what it says on that little sticker. I looked at that and I said, where is that in the scripture? I haven't read that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds good and it sounds right. But where is the emphasis in that? There's no limit to what God can do in your life. Where is the emphasis? In the King James it says, for it is God. He names, that. that is the the, the noun in that sentence it is God that worketh in you gives you an opportunity to serve him it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure it's not your it's, I, it's not your place to be in command it's not your place to be in charge. It's God's. Uh, because it's his good pleasure that we are doing. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, as Ephesians tells us. We have that responsibility to do what God said to do. Peter says, who was I to argue with God? Who was I to, to argue with this? God baptized these people with the Holy Spirit right there in front of me. What was I going to do? <laughs> and that vision that I'd seen, I understood then. I understood what God was talking about. What God hath cleansed, call not thou unclean. You be ready to do what God says. And he'll bless you. Both, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's not our good pleasure. Sometimes we want God to do things our way. <laughs> God doesn't work that way. He doesn't have to. 
He doesn't have to do what we tell him to do. Oftentimes our prayers are answered with no. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. God can be, God can be the one who gives power to your life. You don't give power to God's life. No way. When they heard these things, that is the Jews there in Jerusalem, this is verse 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. He said, that, that settles it. We've we heard these things. And, and they glorified God. They praised God's name for what he had done because he granted life to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. And these were Jews saying this. <laughs> wow. Talk about being slapped in the face. I mean, like, like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. They, he got their attention. <laughs> he said, Wow. Look what God has done. Praise God. He's allowed all these Gentiles, the Gentile world, everybody but Jews, <laughs> have been brought in. That, that was exciting. And that was a conclusion that the Jewish, or that the Jerusalem church came to. Look what God has done. This is amazing. This is unheard of in our community. God has allowed people to come in that are not Jews. Verse 19 changes the subject here. When Stephen had been stoned, there was a, a change, a seed change, if you will, in the attitudes around Jerusalem against the Jews who were Christians, who had received Jesus as their Savior. Now, the Jews were against them, and the Romans and the other Gentiles were in conflict with them already. And there, be, there came a persecution in Jerusalem, a persecution of the church, that way, that, that upstart group of people who were saying that, you know, they followed Jesus, who had been doing miracles, raising the dead and healing the lepers and the, the sick and the blind and doing all these good things. But hey, this isn't the Jewish way of doing things. Come on, we've got to stick with the program here, people. That was the idea that the high priest had. And so people were turned against the Christians. Now, they weren't called Christians at this time. They were called the followers of that way. 
It was a different sort of thing. Everybody knew that. But many people had received that way. That way that Jesus Christ brought. A new and better, a perfect way for your life. Many people received him, but many did not. And those that were in the church were scattered all across Asia. They, were, they, they fled Jerusalem because of the persecution, and they went up north. And it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon, upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word unto none but unto the Jews only. So when they went into a community, when they left Jerusalem and went in to another community, they went to the synagogue. They went there to preach and to teach others about Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah sent according to the prophecy. And this was the one that they were to follow. And some of those that left the church there at Jerusalem, remember they had been there for the Pentecost, and they were there for that celebration. And, and they, they left. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now they went as far as Greece, away from Israel, away from Jerusalem, Judea. They, they spread and they scattered all across Asia, preaching the word of God. It says, preaching the Lord Jesus, there in verse 20. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And the tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. So the church there in Jerusalem heard about these Jews that were traveling, and that, were, that had fled the persecution, that were heading elsewhere, anywhere. Well, as they went, they preached the word of God. And they had good success. For it is God which worketh in them both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And that was what God wanted. Now they were experiencing persecution there in Jerusalem. That's why they ran away. They said, hey, we're, we're in, we'll get ourselves hurt if we stay here. So they left. And they those that could left. And they went up north, into, up along the coast, and as far as Greece. And they, were, they spoke unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, and turned unto the Lord. And then when the church at Jerusalem heard about this, they said, we better send people up there to help with this. So they sent Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Antioch was quite a quite a 
ways to go. It was way north, and it was out of, out of Israel, actually. And he says, uh, Barnabas, verse 23 says, Barnabas, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. He urged them. He blessed them and said, this is, this is a good thing that's happening. This is wonderful what's happening. And I encourage you to use with purpose of heart, with your whole heart, serve God. He said, this is what God wants. To these Grecians, whether they were Jew or Gentile, either way, he says, you do what God wants. Cleave to the Lord. What does that mean, cleave to the Lord? You anchor your soul in Jesus. That song that we sang this morning was the perfect one, Tony. I, it fits right in with this. Anchor your soul in the haven of rest, which is our Lord. I want you to do that. Barnabas says, this is good. You do that. He encouraged them. He, Barnabas was a, a learned man. He was a man who was well-respected well in many communities. So let's look at this. In verse 24, For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. So his preaching brought even more people in. More people saw that this was a good man, and he had come here to, to bless them in the service of God. He encouraged them in God's service. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. So he had been there a while, and he taught in the church, and many people were added to the church, but he was called to go up and look for Saul in Tarsus. Now Tarsus was where Saul was born. That was where he was from, but he had fled there after the persecution. After he had been converted, he fled. He was sent by the church. He said, you better get out of this. This is the hot territory. You, you go on back home and and lay low for a while, which he did. But I tell you what, the Apostle Paul was preaching. He was not known as Paul back then. He was known as Saul of Tarsus still. But he was preaching there in Tarsus, I assure you of that. But Barnabas was sent up to go get him. Bring him down here to Antioch. And verse 26, And when he had found him, that is when Barnabas found Saul, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. 
So Barnabas went up and got Saul, brought him down here to Antioch, and they taught them the Word of God out of the Old Testament scriptures, by the way, because they didn't have the New Testament. But they showed these Christians and Jews, these uh, Jewish converts, as well as the Gentile converts, the word of God out of the Old Testament, showed how the prophets had prophesied Jesus coming, how he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world, not just of Israel. They, they taught these people and they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. They taught many people about Jesus Christ. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now that word Christians is an interesting term. It's, it's like Christlings. You know, you see a, a duck walk across the road and these little yellow balls of fluff walking across behind. You know those are ducklings. <laughs> it, they're going to grow up to be ducks. They don't look much like ducks at this point. I mean, the beak might give them away, but that's the only thing that would. Oh, young Christians are like that. And there were a lot of young Christians here in this, here at Antioch. And they said, look at the little Christians. Those little fuzzy little ducklings. They're going to grow up to be like Christ. That's the idea. Christlings. They were called that here. You know, it was an accusation when the people who were not Christians looked at him and said, look, they're going to, they're little Christlings. <laughs> look at them. They're going to be like, just like Jesus Christ. And the church says, yes, that's what we want to be. Yes, that's what God has called us to be. That's what Barnabas and Saul encouraged them to be. Here at Antioch was the first place they were, that this way, this movement, was called Christians. You know, it might have been an accusation by those who threw that in their teeth. You <laughs> little Christians, you. You know? <laughs> but they said, yes, that's what we want to be. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it at all. Matter of fact, <laughs> that's what we're called to be. We're called out of the world to be separate from the rest of the world. That's what a church is. A body of called out, baptized, born, born again and baptized people called out of the world. To be separate from the world. To be Christlings. Yes, that's all right. Do it. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what God has called you to do. Let God work in your life. 
Let him be your all in all. That's what we're called to be. And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Now this word prophets, they may have been Jewish prophets, I don't know, but they were teachers. They were teaching the word of God. And I believe these were Christian prophets. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all of the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now you know what a you know that a prophet is a true prophet of God when the things that he says come to pass. Well, Agabus said, there's going to be a famine throughout the land, all throughout the world as we know it. There's going to be a, a big famine. And it came. And that drove more of the Jews, more, more of the Christians out of Jerusalem because it, around Jerusalem was evidently where the greatest part of this famine was. And so these people had to leave to get something to eat, to find enough to eat. You had to, to leave. Even those that had stayed behind because they were too poor to move somewhere to avoid the persecution that had come after Stephen's death, even these people were being driven out. And it came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. This was a, a point in Roman history, history of the world, that this famine came. And it's, it's acknowledged in, by the Romans in their histories that that famine came at that time. Verse 29 says, Then the disciples every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. He says, we're going to take up an offering and we're going to send money down there so that they can buy food. Those people are going to be hurting because of what Agabus had prophesied. And we don't know how long a time period there was in here. We don't know when... Uh, Claudius Caesar came into power, but that time in there, you know, there was an out, there was a year that Paul and si or Paul and uh, or Saul at that time, Saul and Barnabas, were there in Antioch. So we we're not sure about how much time elapsed in here, and this during this time when the disciples heard about that famine there in Jerusalem and they took up an offering they may have been having rough times I mean the, the famine was all throughout Asia but they took up an offering according each man according to his own ability determined to send relief to the brethren which dwelt in Judea back there in Jerusalem in that area those people were hungry but they did that, which they also did in verse 30, and sent, 
sent it unto the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They said, you take this money from Antioch here, in this region up here. We don't know how far the church had spread up there, but people wanted to give. And they took up a, a money collection and sent that down there to Jerusalem to help those people. This was their faith. It was an act of faith for each of them to do that. Each man according to his ability. Whether he was rich or poor, he gave what he had. And that's the way our giving ought to be. When there's a need, you know, the church had been there in Jerusalem. They had all things in common. So they'd given up their lands and their, they'd sold things, sold possessions, and the church had all things in common. There were a lot of people who had become poor because of that. But it was for God's purpose. And God used that to disperse them throughout all of Asia. And the church grew mightily because of their testimony as they went. That is what is called for. God calls for people to do his will in spite of the trouble that they may have may be experiencing. Well, I call for comments now. I, I've talked. I want you to look at your life. Look at your purpose. Look at your opportunity to serve God in this congregation and say, where is my direction? What do I do? What is my purpose? You know, I was a cabinet maker for years. And I had tools. I still have a collection of tools. I don't have the machine power that I had at the company I worked for. I worked it for 18 years for Hughes & Company, the largest cabinet shop in the state of Colorado. But I had tools. But I was a tool at the same time. My The plans came down from the head office and we got a cutting bill to cut the parts. We got a, a blueprint to see, show what it was supposed to look like. We were provided tools, whether they be compressors and nailers or, or hammers or saw, you know, the hammer I had to provide, but you know, I was just a personal tool. But all of these other tools, the drills and the saws and the, those other things, those were provided by the company. I know about that. I know about working off of a, a plan. But God has his plan for my life. He has a plan for your life. We are just tools. I, even I, as a cabinet maker, was a tool to put this, whatever the project was, together. Whether it be a point of sales counter or, or a, who knows, a, a, a museum case or a, uh, a table for that went up in one of those high-rises in Denver, a, a conference table. We did stuff like that. And I got in on all kinds of different projects. But they weren't my projects. 
We need to follow the Lord that way. It's his project. To will and to do of his good pleasure in your life. Tell me, what, what about your life? What about your life? Where's, where's, who's, who runs the show? Who's the boss? I'm telling you who needs to be. We are Christians, little Christlings, I hope, each of us. Let's give God the glory for all those things that we have, the opportunity to serve him. That's what it is. It's an opportunity. Any comments? Come on. I mean, you've been listening to me standing up here. Brother Tyler. I think you covered it pretty adequately. Praise God. I got to be used of my Lord. I want you to take this word, this word, not mine, this word. And remember that it's Christ which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Thank you. Links out, there should be a blue button that'll pop up. Thank you for the opportunity. It's always a, a blessing to preach the word of the Lord. Um, remember me, uh, even though I shouldn't be afraid or nervous, it's something that I just can't get rid of. It's been this way my whole life. I stutter and I stammer. Um, I think. 
Wednesday night was a good example of my shakiness. <laughs> um, it's always a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. It's always a blessing to be amongst His people, and I, I appreciate you sharing this with me. Um, of course, we're we're members at New Testament Baptist, where Brother Jeff Shepherd's pastor, Brother Tyler and Sister Donna were members there a few years ago before they went to the village. Um, they're not very big. We're we've, I think we've got what uh, fifteen to twenty people, and there's a that's counting the kids too. So, <laughs> but um, we we. Uh, we all face the same struggles and the same difficulties. When you serve the Lord, um, we're always constantly battling against ourselves. Um, Brother Ed danced around my message a little bit this morning, which that's just that's just the Lord putting things together. Our uh, <clears throat> the first the first verses we're going to look at this morning is in First Corinthians. Um, chapter 4, verse 1. I'll be talking about what Brother Ed was talking about this morning. Our, our identity is Christ. That's who we identify as. That's who we should identify as. And that's who the world should perceive us as. And as he talked about this morning... It's nothing any of us have have done. It's not some miraculous act that we've caused. God in His infinite wisdom and mercy has allowed us and given us an opportunity. And that's one of the things I've been preaching on back home quite recently is we don't have to serve God. This is not a job. This is an opportunity. This is a gift that God has given to us. We, we sometimes put that negative connotation on it as... This is my job. This is what I'm supposed to do. And rightly so. Us being baptized, being bought through Christ's blood, there is a a certain requirement for us. But us being saved from a, a situation that would surely leave us in doom and given the opportunity to serve Him, we should look at this with more joyful eyes, more joyful connotation. It is an opportunity, as you so eloquently said this morning. Um, Chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it's a very small thing that I be examined by any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, Yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. I use New American Standard, if it's a little hard to follow. Um... I uh, started studying with Brother Stan Allen there in uh, Trashwood, and he asked me to start looking into the Greek with him. And I said, well, Brother Stan, the New American Standard is already done. (laughs) And he says, no, just for the sake of study, look into it, see what words mean. 
us in our society, there's things that's dwindled. Our words and their meanings. We use a lot more simple words that have less heart behind them. We have uh, less enthusiastic attitude about some of the things that we're a part of. There used to be a fire that burned our nation that just kindled our spirits. We were courageous men who were proud to be bold and speak the things that were true. And as time has gone on, it's been squashed. It's been pushed away. But here in the scriptures, the Lord has encouraged us to be men bold and not afraid to speak the things of truth. He says not to be pugnacious as well. So we have to remember, we're not fighting, we're not arguing, but we are to be bold and to be truthful and to be righteous. And so he tells us in, in verse 1 um, to regard us in the manner as servants of Christ. One of the things that they were arguing about here uh, over in chapter 3, they were fighting about who was physically doing the baptizing, right? They were arguing over, I was baptized by Apollos, I was baptized by Paul. And he says, thankfully, I actually didn't baptize any of you. Because then that's the only thing that you'd be boasting about. I mean, you're already arguing about that anyway. And he says, so it's not whether you studied under Brother So-and-so or you were a member of Brother So-and-so's church or whatever the case may be. The only thing that matters is what's happening right now, the state that you're currently in. Are you a servant of the Lord? And he says, it is required of servants or of stewards that we be found trustworthy. So in order for us to understand what the identity of Christ means, he gives us a very small window. He says we have to be trustworthy. That's kind of the first thing we look at here. And then he talks about something really important in verses 3 and verse 4. He says, I can't judge myself because I'll be biased. If I was to sit down and decide all the things that I've done wrong, I would probably look for justification behind all of those things. There's reasons why I did this. And he says, in verse 4, he says, but I'm not acquitted by this. I'm not found guiltless because of these things. Because of the way that I look at myself, it doesn't make me any less responsible for what I do. It's according to God. The one who examines me is the Lord. That's who we have to be acquitted by. And he says, so we don't go passing judgment before it's time. God already knows all of the things, and he will determine each individual based on their service. He, he knows all things. That's what it says at the end of verse 5. He says, uh, the Lord, when he comes, he will bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness, and he'll disclose the motives of men's hearts men's hearts and then each man's praise will come to him from God so I can't judge you because I have man's eyes I will be biased towards the flesh he says so the best thing for us to do this is what my dad used to tell me about cleaning my room the best thing to do is to just go ahead and do it just do it because then there's no reason for punishment afterwards there will only be reward. And when we see, when he sees that he can trust me to simply clean my room, he will no longer have to ask that of me because I will be found trustworthy. I will have already done it in the sufficient time given to me. So then there's no reason for him to continually ask me to clean or tell me to clean. He can give me a new task, something more important 
than just cleaning of a room. That's what Paul was talking to him about in uh, the beginning of chapter 3. <laughs> I want to get on to more meaty spiritual things with you, brethren, but I can't because you're hung up on these few small things. And he says, you're letting this steal your potential away from you. That's what you're doing. You're allowing Satan to enter in and cause arguments and quarrels. And he says, that's not what a servant of God is. If we are biting and devouring each other, we're not identifying as Christ. Because Christ did not bite and devour or fight with anyone. So we go uh, verse uh, 13 of chapter 3 was one of the ones I wanted to look at real quick. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Each man will be held accountable for the things that they do. Contrary to popular belief, there is consequences for our actions. The world teaches that there's no consequences, but there is. There's always a consequence. And so instead of focusing on the consequences of things, let's place value on them. Only to be seen as what? Servants of Christ. So Philippians chapter 2, this is the passage you were bouncing all over this morning and that is okay like i said it's always fascinating how the lord i don't know why it's fascinating because he does it all the time but it always is fascinating how things just line up together it's just a clear image of what the lord has for us this day and it just it fits perfectly and i, I enjoy it um philippians chapter 2 Verse 1, he says, Therefore, brethren, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself, and he took the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross." Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, for the glory of God the Father. So, verses 5 and 8, 5 through 8 actually, kind of, push the idea that I'm talking about this morning as our example Christ he showed us what to do he emptied himself and became a servant he says that he didn't regard equality with God as something to be grasped that is something that men themselves struggle with every day men in their natural state are power hungry they decide 
what they will do today and tomorrow. They'll even go as far as to tell other men what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Sometimes to a point to where they take men's lives physically into their own hands. Christ didn't see God's throne as something that he already had. He was humble. He understood that God sits higher than all of us and I am just simply be a servant. Well, he's the son of God. Is he not obligated to act as a prince? For some of us, we forget that we have to, he had to become all things so that we might understand what he was trying to teach us. He emptied himself and he took the form of a bondservant and he was made in the likeness of men and he was found in the appearance as a man. So for all pretense and purposes, he looked like Joe Coffee walking down the street. That's what he looked like. He was flesh and blood, looked just like man. And he humbled himself to the point that he became obedient to death on a cross. Satan called him on it several times. We all understand was Satan wrong by the things that he said? You could call down angels and deliver yourself this day. You could turn rocks into bread. Was he wrong? Physically, no. Christ could do those things. But he chose. He understood there was a higher purpose that God needed for him. And so he became obedient. That's what our mindset should be like. That's what he talks about in um, the previous verses. What is it? Uh see. Don't look out for your own... Uh, personal interest but the interest of others and have this attitude in yourself which was Christ and he talks about it in verse 3 but with humility of mind let each of us regard one another as more important than himself those are the examples that Christ was leading the things that he says here he emptied himself and became a servant this is what he does this is what he requires from us to not look after just ourselves but to look for what is most important to my brother what is most important to your succession how can I assist you in fulfilling your duties to the Lord? That's why he talks about if there's any love, if there's any fellowship, if there's any affection or compassion, if any of these things exist in us. Paul's telling the church of Philippi there, if it does exist, then let it abound. Don't hold it back. Let it blow wide open. Let it just consume you. He says, make my joy complete. Let me see it with my own eyes and be happy that I see it. Maintaining the same love and united in the same intent and one purpose. So just as Christ did to the point we offer up ourselves for whatever God desires, it's his glory anyway, we can never achieve our true potential until we stop our selfishness. We never can. We can never reach the completion that God wants until we decide to step back and allow Him to do it. Become of the same mind. Whose mind? It's not my mind. I don't want everybody thinking like me. Because I'm telling you, if you ever come with me at work, it's like a bunch of hamsters got loose. We're all over the place. So no, not my mind. Brother Tyler's mind... I don't know what he's like with that work, but I spent the week with him this week. And I love you, brother. But not all of us can be you. So you you see my point. Not a, not a single one of us can change our physical selves and become another person. But what we can do is by uh, through the Spirit, by faith. Right, brother? Yeah. 
We can become his workmanship, his creation. That's why he says the intent on one purpose, united in the spirit, the same mindset of Christ. We can become his bride. We are married to him after all. That is our goal in this life is to become one with him. So we change this. And so long as we allow this to rule our lives, we'll never accomplish it. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Am I talking too fast or too slow? You can shake your head, no. I'll give you a Wally Coyote sign if you want. You can hold it up. First <laughs> Peter chapter 1. And your uh, your computer's not going to see me through most of the message because I keep going like this. So, <laughs> right. First uh, Peter chapter one, verse thirteen. Gird your minds for action. Keep sober in the spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which you were in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your, your time of your stay, knowing that that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, your futile, um, or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless of Christ. For he was, see, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, and has appeared in all, has appeared in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. You have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass and all glory like the flower of grass, the glass... The grass withers and the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. This is the word which was preached to you. Verses 15 and 16. Be holy. Being holy is the evidence of that mindset we're talking about here. Verses 13, 14, 15, 16, everything else that we read. This is how we become holy. Girding up your minds. Don't just do things out of a reaction. Spend time in prayer and meditation to the Lord. When we gird up ourselves, that's what we do. We put something on that pulls us together tightly so that we're not quickly moved. So how do we do that? That's why he says, gird up your minds. For action, he says, keep sober. Right? Don't let anything in this world, whether it be uh, alcohol, drugs, conversations with people that are troublesome to the Lord, listening to things that are detrimental to your service. Fix your hope 
completely on the grace that was brought to us by Christ. That's what you focus on. That's the part that helps you keep your mind in the right place is by focusing it on something. And he says, focus on the grace of Christ. And then he says in verse 14, be obedient like children. Do children act out of their own accord all the time? Sometimes they do. But for the most part, a child wants to see from their parents, they want to see the affirmation that I'm doing something good. They crave it, right? That's why most of the time kids act out. It's because they're not getting enough attention, right? I was an ADHD kid, right? So (laughs) it was kind of hard to keep an eye on me all the time. So what my dad did for me was he gave me tasks. Tear down the porch. And don't just tear the porch down. Pull the nails out of the boards. Put the nails in the coffee can and stack the lumber up to the side. Why? Well, because the porch was falling apart. It's becoming a safety matter. But we don't just throw things away. We don't just burn stuff because if I'd have done that, the whole house would have been gone. And so he gave me a step-by-step, something to focus my hands and my mind on. So ultimately, the goal here was to simply obey what my dad had for me to do. That was the ultimate goal. But he loved me, and he didn't want me to be in trouble anymore. So he'd give me something kind of destructive, but it had constructive intent behind it. Give me some organization. That was when he realized that spankings didn't work for me anymore. What can I say? I was 15 years old, and I could wear my dad's pants. I was a big kid. (laughs) It was kind of hard sometimes. But as obedient children who seek that affection from their parents, they seek that affirmation that I'm doing something right. I'm looking for a word, and I can't find it this morning, but that works. Um... Do not be conformed to your former lusts. Don't go backwards. We understand that in terms of of football, in terms of mechanicing, in terms of anything that we do in our jobs, that if you give an inch, you might as well have given a mile because it is so hard to get it back. It doesn't come back that easy. That's, what, that's another thing. Dad put me in football because I could wear shoulder pads and get beat up on and it wouldn't hurt nobody. It was a way to work through my frustrations without causing pain. But I understood that if I was to give a single inch, I'm starting backwards momentum. You don't easily come back from that. When Satan gets in and he wiggles his way in, and he does, when we give him that small amount of push and we just barely budge, that's momentum. And he takes it and he runs with it. And sometimes he doesn't even have to have help. Sometimes we've already done it ourselves. We've already given the path for him to move. And that's why he tells us to be focused and, and, and hone in on that grace as obedient children. And then he says, be holy like Christ. Well, I can't be holy by myself. I can't do it. I can't accomplish it. Because in my mind, it's like a brother Jeff likes it to a, uh, what's in clicker machines that slides. So my mind's like a slide machine. Stuff just goes through there so fast. I can think it faster than I can do it. I mean, something simple like traveling here and a guy cut me off and like that, stuff just starts going across my mind. I can see it. Things that I want to say, things that I want to do, but I can't. Because the last thing you guys need to see in the news is the pastor, or I mean a brother coming from Arkansas got arrested because he ran four people off the road. 
<laughs> I can't do that. So he says, if you address Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, if that's what we say, we call on God, we call Him our Father, we're saying that we're acting holy, he says, be careful about your time while you're on earth. Make the most of it. He says, conduct yourselves in fear. Why? Because on the moment that we die, we no longer have any more chances to get it right. That's the end. That's the period at the end of the sentence. It's done. And we know that we can't be redeemed with anything that we've got. When you pass away, does the TV and the cars and the gold and the jewelry help you get into the kingdom? No, it doesn't. It's the things in which you do. He says, life inherited from your forefathers, that's the way they did it. He says, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless of Christ. That's what gets us there. Through His blood. So be careful. Because it infuriates God to see somebody carrying His Son's blood on them and acting a fool. It infuriates Him. How dare you use something for good, use something that I intended for good to be mischievous with? How dare you, right? It offends Him. And He says, Christ was known before the world, right? Who... Through Him are believers in God. They were raised from the dead and given to glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And He says, so since you have obedience, since we've accomplished that part and we've purified our souls, now you've been born again. Not of a seed perishable, but one imperishable. A seed given to God. That seed that He was talking to Abraham about. Many nations, right? All flesh is like grass. We understand this. Grass comes, grass goes. When it gets wet, it burns up in the heat of the day. When it's attended to, it's nourished. But guess what? In the wintertime, it still goes away. Nothing is promised forever except for the Lord. He says, the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word that was preached to us. We have been preached this to us many times. We know deep down inside of us what's required of us. Most of the time, the things that the preachers and the pastors and the teachers are teaching really is the things that we're struggling with ourselves or just a reminder because deep down we do know what's expected of us. There's only so much bad or rather there's, al there's already been enough time for us to do things wrong, basically. That's what he talks about over there in... Uh, what did I write that down? I think it was... Uh, It's in 1 Peter. I think it's 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4 verse 3 I think is what it says. Uh, Sufficient time has already passed for us to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. That's what he says. Yeah. 1 Peter 4 verse 3 he says um, since Christ has suffered in the flesh arm yourselves with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of time in the flesh no longer the lusts of men before the will of God, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, pursuing uh, coarse sensualities, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, parties, abominable idolatries. He says time's already been sufficient for us to carry out those desires of the flesh. We've already had enough time doing those things. It's time to stop and do something different. It's time to put on the body of Christ, put on His mindset. 
So uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. I, Paul, say unto you that you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Through the Spirit, by faith, we are waiting, right? Christ is the one that set us free from our sins. That's what he says in verse 1. He set us free from our sins so that we might do what? So that he might, not us, but that he might establish us, establish our feet on the right and proper path. He tells us by staying in tune with the Spirit and maintaining that faith, we can be completed. By us staying in tune with the Spirit and listening to our tutor and our witness to God, listening to him, and by maintaining our faith through Christ, we are waiting for righteousness. We have made ourselves ready so that God can complete us. And he says not to be shaken by sin and not to be squanderers of the opportunity given to us. It's up to us to let go of all that causes us to fall. Let go of the past and what we think is right. Let God tell us what is right. That's why he says in verse 7, you were running so well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? It didn't come from him who calls you. You didn't forget how to serve the Lord because God told you to forget. You forgot because you found something else more important. So he says, I have confidence in you and in the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear judgment. He says, I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? <laughs> The stumbling block of the cross has been abolished, but that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. He says, don't worry about the ones that are causing you disruptions. Theirs is the Lord's. They will be handled. He says, but you were called to freedom, and do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. That's the warning right there on the back end of it. He says, we were called for freedom. Don't turn it into an opportunity for the flesh. Don't give our reset, our, our new start, our new birth. Don't let that become a reason for sin to abound. Sometimes we get a little arrogant because we remember what it felt like whenever we first come into this relationship with God. We remember that. He says, don't become arrogant and think that you've got everything figured out and that you're not touchable. He says, don't let it become something false. Remember, 
Even though we were saved, there is still work in front of our feet that must be done. We have not accomplished all that is set in front of us. And he says, be careful how you talk to one another because that does play a big part in our service to the Lord. My brethren needs to be important to me because if I don't love my brother, that's what God sees. That's how he judges us based on how we treat one another. That's why he tells him, he says, any man who says he doesn't love his neighbor is a murderer and should be rendered as such. It's a hard thing to say, hard thing to take. But us as God's people sitting in an assembly full of God's people, who are we to dictate to God who we will and who we will not love? It's God's. If we don't love our brethren, guess what? That man that I'm having a hard time loving belongs to God. He's a servant. And he may actually be doing something that I'm not listening. He may be listening. So, just as Christ, he didn't throw anybody into the pits. He didn't murder anybody. What did he do? He got mad because they were using God's temple for something wrong. They were using it to make money. But he set an example. Even though he threw the tables off the front steps, what did he do? He preached to them. He said, stop it. God expects better of you. So don't do this. Don't let him send his wrath down. Don't let him do it. Change it now, right? Because he loved God's creation. Last place I'm going to read is Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, uh, I already read Ephesians chapter 2. I think I was going to go to Philippians. I can't remember. No, no, that's right. Ephesians chapter 2. That is correct. Ephesians chapter 2. And like I said, time sufficient has already passed for us to carry out the desires of the Gentiles. It's already been taken care of. And chapter 2 reminds us, verse 1, you were dead in trespasses and in sins. That's the only part of that chapter we read today. We would remember we used to be dead to Christ. At one point in time, we were not doing anything right. He says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. We indulged in the desires of the mind and of the flesh, and by nature children of wrath even as the rest. That's what we used to be. If we are identifying ourselves as these attributes right now, we're lying to our brother, we're lying to ourselves, and we're lying to our God. This is what was supposed to happen. When we were saved, when we were baptized, I use, I use the word saved because I'm tired of other religions stealing my words, stealing God's words. It is a good word. We are saved to a purpose, to be redeemed for God, for His good pleasure. That's what we're saved for. So if we have been baptized and God has marked us as His people, then these things must be put to death. They have to cease. That's what being holy is. God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Well, brother, you just said we're supposed to put these things to death. Well, I can't. God has to be the one to do it for me. But I have to be willing to allow him to do these things. I have to tell him that I want this stuff to be dead. I have to tell him. I have to let him know, this is what I want, Lord. I want to be holy. I want to be your servant. I want you to put these things as far away from me as possible. That's my desire. We have to. 
And he says, while we were dead in our transgressions, he brought us alive together with Christ and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus in order that in ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So at the end of all things, it's all about God, right? That's where all of it lasts. That's where all of it lays. It's all with God. It's by nothing that I can conjure up in my mind, nothing that I can build can I be saved by. It has to be through God. But we do for certain have to say it with our mouths and say it with our lives. What you say and how you walk, those things are important. And like I said, we, we understand this because every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Bible study, these things are constantly being brought up to us. And these things are not meant to bring us down and beat us with sticks, but these things are to remind us. Just in case between Monday and Tuesday we forget before Wednesday, or between Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday we forget before Sunday. These things are just to be reminders to us that we serve a wonderful God who is worthy of praise, who is worthy of service, who has given us an opportunity, and we get to be his workmanship. It is an opportunity. We get to put on the mind of Christ. We don't, we don't have to do nothing. We get to do something. So let us find that joy. Let us focus on focus ourselves and be seen as servants of God, be seen as his children. Let us be known by him as ones who are righteous, who love him. Let that be seen of us. And Christ also said what? Fear not what man can do. Because the worst thing a man can do is kill you. That's it. And it's a scary thing, sure, to be standing there looking at something that could take your physical life. It is scary. But that is the worst thing they can do. God can either put you in his kingdom or put you to death forever. That is scary. And that's why he says, let us be found by him as doing righteousness. Let us be found as him, be found in him as Christ. Let us have his mind. I thank you, brethren, for allowing me to preach.